Welcome to Hope for the Heart. I'm so glad you're back today. If uh, you have been joining us, then you know we are continuing our verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation. And again tonight, we'll find ourselves in the book of Revelation chapter 4. So if you want to be turning there, I will read this text to you. Uh, in order to give us a context for what we'll be speaking on tonight. This is a very, it begins to get into a very interesting section of the book of Revelation. And so I want to read you this first. I I will be reading in Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to read part of what I read last week, and then I'm going to add a verse. So beginning in verse 1, the Word of God reads, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first angel which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Verse 4. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments, and the golden crowns on their heads. Now last week we we began looking at verses 1 through 3, and we see that this is something God wants us to see. This is something that God chooses to give us. You remember, He initiated... John being called into heaven to show him. He initiated the vision back in chapter 1, giving him uh, the appearance of Christ in his glorified state, and then revealing to him the, the letters that uh, are, are to the churches of Asia Minor when he said in chapter 1, verse 19, Write therefore the things which you have seen, which is the vision that he had of Christ, And the things which are, and that's the seven letters to uh, the churches of Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. And then it says the things which shall take place after these things. Well, that's where we are in chapter 4. We're at those things which must take place after these things. And so he says that in verse 1. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Now, last week I entitled the message... Heaven prepares for judgment. Because that's exactly what we see here. And I'm going to actually use that same title this week and say, Heaven prepares for judgment, part two. How's that for creativity? And so, because that's what we see here. We see heaven is getting ready for what is happening, fixing to happen on earth. Now, earth, on the, on the other hand, has gone through something that is, uh, can be a bit confusing for a lot of people. Uh, but what has here's the timeline of where we are. We are looking at heaven, and at the same time, we know what's going to be happening on earth at this exact moment in the future. It may be a week, it may be a month, it may be years, we don't know. But at the same time on the earth is the just, and this is post-rapture. The church has gone up into heaven, and the tribulation period is getting ready to start, or perhaps it's already begun as far as the Antichrist signing his agreement or his seven-year pact with the nation of Israel. We don't know whether that's actually happened or, or, or yet or not, but we know that tribulation period is about to start. And so when we see this in chapter 4, we are seeing uh, 
something of, of heaven getting ready. Heaven is preparing for what is about to happen on earth. <clears throat> Excuse me. And one of the things I mentioned last week was when the tribulation period starts on earth, and John is able to see this from the heavenly perspective, then it would be comforting for him to know that this massive confusion on the earth and this massive destruction on the earth and all of the judgments and the wrath being poured out upon the earth that somebody is in control and so we said that uh, this is a look at interestingly john first thing he sees and we mentioned last week is the throne come up here and i'll show you what must take place and then it says immediately i was in the spirit and behold here's the first thing he sees a throne and one standing a throne standing in heaven and one sitting on that throne <clears throat> now we covered that last week as far as uh he sees he doesn't name who it is so the one on the throne is the lord the lord of hosts god himself and john doesn't need to give us a name because it's obvious who that is and so i want to proceed a little bit further here because this is so important and I want to make sure I cover as much of this text that I can. And if you, I hope you're listening and if you want to take some notes, or you know, sometimes people tell me all the time they have to replay it and grab this or that, uh, because there are several different passages I want you to be thinking about at the same time. And one is Ezekiel chapter 1. It's easy to find if you can find Ezekiel. Uh, I sometimes say it's easy to find. Well, it's, some of these books are not easy to find, but they, they they tend to get lost in the other books. But Ezekiel chapter 1, in fact, we, we referenced that last week because Ezekiel had somewhat of a an experience kind of like John and perhaps even like Paul, but we don't know what Paul's was because he wasn't permitted to speak. But Ezekiel had somewhat of the same kind of experience seeing some things. And I want to uh, reference this one verse before I get into what we're about to see in Revelation chapter 4, verse 3, because I want you to listen to this verse in Ezekiel. It's found in chapter 1, and it's verse 25, or 28, and it says this, <clears throat> excuse me, and <clears throat> as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance talking about the throne and God himself. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice speaking with me. Now, that is just a, the end of the vision that he had in chapter 1. But I want you to know that, <clears throat> excuse me, that is very similar to what John sees. Listen to what verse 3 says of Revelation chapter 4. This is what John says. In verse 2 he says, A throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on that throne. Now notice what he knows, notices about what is going on around that throne. Verse 3, He who was sitting, which is God himself, was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Now, I want to say, first of all, that when the book of Revelation is giving us information here, it can give it to us and use words like, something was like this. It doesn't mean it is that. It means it's like that. That's what it's using those words for. But if you'll notice, he who was sitting was like a jasper, was like an... Uh, uh, 
uh, Sardis, and like those, but he doesn't say anything like a rainbow. There is an actual rainbow, and the first two were like. So you have, you have to kind of notice these because uh, I, I get comments all the time where people say, well, how do you know what to take as far as actual reality in, 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 in Revelation, what to take as a symbol? Well, it tells you that. It tells you what is actual. That is an actual rainbow, and his appearance was like a jasper. We're going to take a look at these two stones. And so you have to just kind of follow along and, and, and you don't have to have any magic formula for this. Just pay common sense attention to what the Scripture is actually saying. So let's look at verse 3, and I want, I want to give you some of this. He who was sitting on the throne was like a jasper. He wasn't a jasper, but he was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance. And this is very similar to what Ezekiel saw. Ezekiel was, was saying it, it was a blazing light. It was like a fire coming out of throne. And, and he, was etern- he was describing the eternal God. And uh, you, so this is what you have. You have describing a flashing and flaming light and color. And John's even going to get more into this as we move along. But this is the glory or the splendor and the beauty of this fiery wrath of his character. John is drawn to this and he's describing this for us. And so let's look at what these stones are and we'll, we'll just... There may not be anything we can really conclude from these other than what he gives us. Jasper stone is mentioned here to get a little further definition of what that is. Jasper, uh, you look at Revelation chapter 21 verse 11, it says the brilliance of the holy city, Jerusalem, which is the new heaven, uh, is the brilliant glory of the glory of God, a brilliance of the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, and I'm reading out of Revelation 21 verse 11, It was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear. And watch this, jasper. So what we learn about jasper is it is crystal clear. It would be the closest thing to an absolutely perfect diamond. It is best to see this in terms of a diamond because the most precious, most magnificent, crystal-like, flawless diamond refracting all the colors of the spectrum in unbelievable brilliance is what John sees. He sees the the shining, flashing uh, facets of the glory of God through these stones, and it's just it's, it's probably breathtaking. But notice, it's not just a jasper stone; it's a sardis. A sardis we remember from the uh, the church of Sardis, that one of the letters, and it's it, it, obviously the, that was that church. I mean, that city is named for that because probably this stone came from that place, and so it's named after the stone. Apparently, they were found in that vicinity. So the stone itself is a blood-red ruby stone, fiery bright. It speaks of the blazing, fiery nature of God's wrath and fury. But why does he give us these stones? Well, I don't really know. We're going to look at a couple of things, but it's, this is not a peaceful vision. This is, it is not a comforting vision. It's a flashing, brilliant, glorious splendor. I can't even think of enough words. A wrathful kind of frightening experience. I don't think flesh could see this. But John being in the Spirit, as it says in verse 1, or in verse 2, immediately I was in the Spirit, in, in that state, that spiritual state, which we don't actually know what that is because we've not been there. I haven't been there. I don't mean been there in heaven. I mean been in that state. Uh, but this this. This is probably a frightening experience, just like Ezekiel fell on his face. 
I would imagine John is frightened too. The appearance of the Almighty God was clear and brilliant to them. Daniel chapter 7 speaks of somewhat of this. Daniel writing, I kept looking until the thrones were set up. In the ancient of days, a title for God took his seat, and his vesture was like white snow, and his hair uh, on his head was pure wool. Here it comes. His throne was ablaze. Listen to how Daniel says it. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. And he goes on to talk about all of the angels. And uh, But some of the things you notice here is that the whiteness, the clarity, the purity, the blazing fire of flames. And you go all the way back to uh, uh, Moses talking and seeing the glory of God. We, we read in chapter 4, verse 24 of Deuteronomy, all the way back there. For the, It says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. And then we find something like that very similar in Hebrews 12, 29. Uh, a brilliant description of the glory of God. Ezekiel saw it. John sees it. So what does it picture? I think it's, it's a picture of the, the, the wrath. I think God is about to fire out. I, I like the way one writer puts this. God is about to fire out the, the lasers of his judgment upon earth. And John is seeing the preparation to this. But what do these two stones represent? Well, to be honest, we don't know. I read so many commentaries where they're just pouring out chapter after chapter after chapter to tell you they don't really know. But it, the interesting thing, the Jasper stone and the Sardis stone were the first and the last stones on the breastplate of the high priest. You find that in Exodus 28. They represent the first and the last of the tribes. Uh, Reuben was the first, uh, represented by Jasper. Benjamin was the last one, represented by the Sardis. So it may be, uh, perhaps, that these stones God is seeing uh, is representing the covenant relationship to Israel, even though he is going to fire out the wrath and, and the fury and the blazing laser flames of judgment. Uh, and it's not going to consume the covenant people. So this would be a comfort to the Jews. We say, well, how would the Jews know this? Well, because this is a scene in heaven. Well, but you remember now, God is giving this instruction to John uh, at around 90 A.D. when he was called into heaven. And this was written, this is in the earliest copies of the New Testament. And these other letters were sent to the churches, so this word began to be filtered through, and it would have been a, a, a uh, comfort to the Jews to know that perhaps that's what this is, that God is not going to break his covenant relationship. It will not consume the, the covenant people. And so it may be the fact that God in his covenant has not forgotten his promise, and that's what he's intending to show. Or it could be there's another Reuben represents by the jasper means in Hebrew, behold the sun. Benjamin, represented by the sardis in Hebrew, means son of my right hand. So you put those together and you perhaps come up with this. Could these names also speak of the greatest Jew, the true son, the true son, Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand? Maybe that's what's intended. Fact is, we don't know. So, so much for that. I want to move to the to the rainbow. Look at what it says in verse 3. And he was sitting, was like a jasper stone, and a sardis in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Now, I've seen a lot of rainbows. And the rainbows I've seen are multicolored. They don't have the, this. They're not what I would call an emerald in appearance or green. 
Uh, I've never seen one that looked like an emerald. An emerald is a green color. A rainbow is made up of, what, all seven colors of the spectrum. This is a different kind of rainbow. The green is, maybe the green just stands out. We don't really know. What does a rainbow mean? Well, we saw it in Ezekiel. <clears throat> the radiance around him is his appearance of the rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day. That's why I read you that in Ezekiel 128. It looked to Ezekiel like it was just a multicolored rainbow. But John sees the same rainbow, and he sees emerald in that rainbow. He calls it a rainbow, but he says emerald rainbow. So what does this mean? Well, there's something wonderful because if you look just at the throne, it's pouring out fury and flashing, brilliant, glowing white and red flames. And all of a sudden, the coolness of the green seems to capture John's vision. It, it took his sight, and so he writes about that. What does it mean? Well, you, you go back to Daniel, I mean, uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 13, uh, Genesis 9, 13. And it says, God said, just to prove to you that I will be faithful in my covenant, uh, I'm going to give my rainbow. And so the rainbow, we know, is a, a symbol that God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promise, faithful to the covenant. He will not break it. it and so at the center of the throne, you see this, this wrath, this, this holy wrath and this judgment uh, but really it's giving us a picture here of the promise of God. God is powerful enough to crush everyone with a thought, and yet he's saying that this will not destroy his covenant relationship with the covenant people. And so God will be faithful. God will be merciful to his own. God will be gracious, and God will keep his promise. But <coughs> excuse me, I want you to notice something else about this. I think that pretty much says enough about chapter uh, uh, one, I'm not chapter one, chapter four, verse three, but I want to move to chapter four because as I, have, I mentioned to you, chapter four and chapter five, uh, you have the, the, the setting up of the, of the prophecy that's going to begin in verse six, which will be the tribulation period. Four and five sets the stage. Four and five describe the throne room in heaven, the very presence of God and <clears throat> the Lamb. And they set the scene for judgment, which will begin soon, but it's not ready to begin yet. So as we enter heaven, this door is standing there, and the central feature is the throne that John sees, and we've brought that up. And so we've talked about that throne. We've talked about the one sitting on the throne who said it is God himself. It was, it was like a jasper stone. And so we've mentioned all this, and we've noted that it is God himself that he sees. Now I can't imagine how breathtaking, even in the spirit state that he was in, what that must have been to him and what that must have done for him. Just to see this, we're told that uh, that this is a, a, a focus of heaven. And we uh, we see that God is is revealing this to him. But I want you to notice what verse 4 says. This throne and we mentioned last week is in not in a palace it's in a temple the throne is in a temple and of course later we're going to clarify that even further i just don't have the time to do it here but we will come back to that but look at verse four and around the throne where god sits around the throne were 24 thrones and upon the thrones i saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. 
So around the throne, the first thing he sees was not just the rainbow, but we move off of the rainbow and off of the throne to what's around the throne. And I want you to notice in verse 4, a fascinating element is around the throne were these 24 thrones. Now that gets my attention. And in fact, we must look at this because this is important to understanding so much of Revelation, so much of what we call the timeline, so much of the timing of when the rapture is going to happen in relation to the tribulation period, which is why we must deal with chapter 4, verse 4. And so that's what I want to do. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Now, there isn't just one throne in which God is is, uh, represented here. There are... Somebody else seems to have been elevated here. Somebody else is sitting alongside of the one sitting on the throne, which we've already identified as God, Jesus Christ himself. We remember in chapter 1 that Christ has been exalted. We remember in chapters 2 and 3 that there was a promise given to most of the churches there that they would reign with Christ and even would sit on his throne as he sits on his Father's throne. So that promise is there. Hang on to that. And so there is the throne of God and Christ, but there are also 24 other thrones. This makes for an interesting study. Well, who is this? Well, we have to ask the question because it doesn't tell us right there who they are. It gives us clues. It appears there is a reigning here with Christ. It appears that there is a sharing of rulership in heaven. And this leadership, this sovereignty is being shared with whoever else is on these thrones. Uh, Someone else seems to have been elevated. Well, who are they? Well, the first thing you you begin to read and look at and, and study Bibles and notes and things, I think Dake's study Bible is probably one of the uh, one of the leading as far as just wild things they say. I do not recommend a Dake study Bible. Uh, and if you wanted to know why, I could always tell you if you wanted to email me. But who are they? Some so many people will say, well, they're angels. Well, angels. It, it really don't. I don't think it could be angels. Uh, this first of all, they're called elders since angels are never said. Also, to reign or never seen sitting on thrones, we would assume then that whoever these 24 elders are that are sitting on these thrones, they have a shared rulership with Christ, and angels are never said to be doing that. I think it would be best to see these human these as human beings. These 24 elders are, by the way, mentioned 24 times in the book of Revelation. They're common uh, it's, it's a common scenario. It's, it's a common phrase used there. We're going to find all through the book of Revelation that the elders here, uh, these 24 elders are referred to, but the word elder is a term used in church leadership. It's a New Testament term referring to leaders in the church. There's no occasion in Scripture where the term elder in the Greek or Hebrew specifically or uh, in any other way relates to angels. Uh, there is this one obscure text in Isaiah where elders uh, speaks of, of, of something that's questionable there in the passage, but it does not change the fact that all other scriptures speak of men. So, notice in verse 4, 3, he gives us some clues who these are. And I want to belabor this point because it's very important for us to get this. 
for us to be able to see some of the things related to here. It says, whoever's on these thrones is sitting. You'll notice in verse 4, the 24 elders are sitting. Uh, and it's inappropriate to use that of angels since angels don't age. And angels are not ever seen. If you'll notice, they're never seen sitting. Angels seem to usually be hovering or above the scene, uh, uh, standing or ready for action, waiting, not ever sitting. <clears throat> and so you, you begin to say, well, gosh, I, I guess they're not angels. But whoever the 24 elders are, they've entered into some kind of a rest, it appears. They've sat down, they've taken a seat. Uh, it is the rest of triumphant rule, I guess you could say. They're sitting with God around His throne in triumph to rule. Now you'll notice something else. <clears throat> There's Not only are they sitting, but the second that's the first clue. The second clue is white garments. Look at what it says in verse 4. 24 elders sitting, then it says clothed in white garments. You see that in verse 4? Well, that's a clue in itself. They're clothed in white garments. Angels do appear as white. You see the Gospel of John, verse 20, they did appear in white. But you see them in a white apparel, evidently indicating their purity and their holiness and their glory. But being clothed in white garments is generally the garments of saints, the clothing of the saints. Uh, you can go back to chapter 3, verse 5. It says in, he, uh, in one of the letters to the seven churches, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And then the church of Laodicea. In chapter 3, verse 18, he references this again. And so, clothed in righteousness is a phrase used of the church. Uh, look at the third clue. The third clue is crown. So we can assume that this could be men because they're called elders, men because they're sitting, and in some way ruling uh, some coronated, uh, some kind of coronated position because it says there's crowns. There's another component that I think is helpful, and that is to look at these golden crowns on their head. Crowns are never promised to angels anywhere in the Scriptures. You don't find it. You might as well not even look for it. Nor do we have any occasion in Scripture to ever see an angel wearing a crown, particularly this one. This is not a diadem crown of a king. This is a Stephanos, the crown of one who has won a victory or uh, I think most writers would call this the runner's crown or the warrior's crown. The one who went through a struggle and came out on the other side as a victor. That's what we see here. Holy angels don't struggle with, with sin, and that's the struggle represented here is they struggle with sin. That's what Paul refer references. Holy angels don't struggle with personal trials. They're not trying to win some personal triumph over uh, their, their, their problems, although they, we do know that they do fight the uh, powers of darkness. But this is Stephanus, always referred to an overcomer or a victor's crown. So you, you begin to see this as uh, information. Then you, 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 if you wanted to trace this through the New Testament or even through the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation, if you go backwards to seven churches of Asia Minor, uh, you, you'll find it in chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, the promise of this crown was given to believers. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And that word crown there is the same word, Stephanos. And so it's an overcomer. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable crown, or Stephanos. And then uh, 2 Timothy talks about this. and. Uh, James talks about this. James one twelve says we will again receive the crown of life. Again, it's Stephanos. First Peter talks about this. 
First Peter chapter five verse four. It's an unfading crown of glory. Again, it's the victor's crown. It's the Stephanos. Look at Revelation chapter four, and, and here you find it again. And so it would seem best to assume that what you have here is redeemed humanity. Angels could not properly be called elders. They don't age. Uh, And so angels are never given crowns. And the question is, is this some kind of redeemed, coronated humanity? Then if it is that, who is it? Who are the 24 elders? And who do they represent? Well, the Old Testament, you know, you can go back to the Old Testament and you can begin to see some things about them uh, as far as being... uh, uh, the Old Testament genealogy, uh, all the 24 patriarchs, but we know from, from looking at this, it, it cannot be them. We also see 24 divisions of singers in the temple, and then there's a 24 is an interesting number to speak of completion. It seems to speak of a representative group. All the priests were represented by the word 24. Uh, and, and so you, you began to say, well, it could be that. Uh, then, but most people say it's uh, <clears throat> at least most that I read said they think it's Israel uh, might might suggest Israel they represent the Old Testament saints but we have a problem with that Israel at this point hasn't been redeemed yet Israel remember now what's happening in heaven is is fixing to go right into the earth scene of tribulation period so this is the this in heaven right here where, where John sees this is, again, it's before the tribulation period actually gets underway with the judgments. And so all of Israel hasn't been saved yet. Even the 144,000 that are going to be saved in the tribulation period has not happened yet. The witness hasn't been given. Israel has not looked upon him whom they've pierced, which is what they will do at the end of the tribulation period. Romans chapter 12, uh, uh, 7 through, uh, I mean, 7, 8, 9 uh, talks about all Israel will be saved, but yet it hasn't happened yet. So if it hasn't happened yet, how can this be Israel represented here? I don't think it can. So some say, well, perhaps it's the tribulation saints. Uh, but they haven't been converted yet because if it's tribulation saints, saints, the tribulation hasn't technically started with judgment yet. So the elders are distinct from those people who are saved who come out of the tribulation period. And so, to make a long story short, and we're going to get into some of this next week, this is what is so exciting to me. On what basis uh, would you have to, to even say, well, like some people say, well, it's really just two sets of twelve. It's 12 apostles and then 12 uh, of the 12 of Israel. But, but that's not, there's nowhere where it splits these and calls it two different groups. It's one group. If they're representative of a group, it's certainly possible uh, that the, it's intended to communicate one group. So I don't think it can represent the completion or completed nation of Israel because uh, they haven't been saved yet. It can't represent angels because there's too many things against that. I don't think it fits the tribulation saints because they haven't been converted. Uh, And while obviously you cannot be, uh, I know most people say you can't be hard and fast about it, but I tend to think you can be hard and fast about it. I tend to think you can be very dogmatic about it, even though I think people say you can't be because they're just trying to kind of soften it some. But I think who this is, and and we're going to close with this because I don't want to go too long on this, but I believe what we're seeing here in heaven is the raptured 
church. This is what makes the most sense to me. The word elder always refers to the church, and I think there's so many other things that refer to the church. There must have been a rapture uh, in for this already to be in heaven. And notice John's already been called up into heaven, and he sees these immediately. So that means the rapture has already happened, which makes sense. That's what we would call the pre-trib view, meaning the church has already gone up before, that's the pre-trib, pre-tribulation. And so this is so clear if you hold to that view. And if you don't, you have trouble with this. What are we going to conclude then? Follow the thought. If you have a coronated, crowned, exalted, glorified church in heaven, then you have to have had a rapture. Very simple. And I believe that's exactly what we're looking at. This then becomes the most important text to look at when trying to understand a pre-tribulational rapture. So I think that's exactly what we see. And again, we're going we're gonna to look at this some uh, next time, but I want to close because I don't want to get this to go too long. So please stay with me. Please don't miss uh, next time. Uh, again, Keep reading this, stay in this, use your devotions out of the book of Revelation, and I promise you, you'll be blessed because of what the book says. Blessed is he, in chapter 1, verse 3, who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy, heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. And I certainly believe the time is closer than you can even imagine. Next week, we're going to look at some more of this. So again, I thank you for joining us on Hope for the Heart in our verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation.